Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Trying to recruit someone right now? At irishjobs.ie, we know it's just one more thing on your endless to-do list. Somewhere between preparing Friday's presentation and picking up dinner. That's where irishjobs.ie can help. With almost 1 million registered career seekers in our constantly updated talent bank, you can be sure you'll always hire the pick of the bunch. Take that to-do list. Get a fresh perspective on your recruitment. Visit irishjobs.ie forward slash hire. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Point, Planet F1's very own podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. And for a lot of reasons, it was a race that's going to live long in the memory of uh, a lot of Formula One fans, I think. By we, I mean myself, Finn Kroboda, and uh, as always, the Planet F1 editor, Michelle Foster. Michelle, thanks for coming on. Yeah, good morning, Finley. Always good to be chatting to you. I mean, yeah, first of all, what were your thoughts on uh, going back to the Nürburgring? I have to say, I I was hoping for better. I mean, it's it was a weird race. It's... There were like moments of excitement, but then there there really wasn't. It was almost like the excitement was, oh look, another car's retired, another car's retired. But it it wasn't actually a humdinger of a race, which I, I was quite disappointed by, especially that they only had one practice in qualifying. I was just expecting a bit more a bit more chaos, and unfortunately it it didn't deliver. But I mean still a beautiful track. I'm amazed everyone got through turn one on the opening lap clean. Uh, that that blew my mind. Yeah, no, it was, um, like I said, a race that will live long in the memory, but not really for the racing, um, mainly for a certain record that we'll uh, get onto in a second, because, yeah, it's official. Lewis Hamilton is now the uh, joint most prolific F1 race winner ever. And he did it in, you know, he wasn't as dominant as usual, I wouldn't say, uh, this weekend in Germany. But um, in the end, he crossed the line comfortably in P1. Um, I mean, uh, last week it was... Not last week, last race. It was uh, Bottas who got kind of lucky, you know, with Hamilton's penalty to go on and win. Um, and this weekend it was the other way around with Bottas retiring. I mean, first things first, if you think, if Bottas did stay in the race, do you think that um, 
he would have given Hamilton a run for his money for the win? I think he'd like to think he would have given Hamilton a run for his money, but uh, when he ran wide and Hamilton slid through to take the lead, that was it. It was game over. Yeah, once Hamilton's got a sniff and his nose in front, he, he's pretty he's pretty unbeatable. I mean, as he's shown us 91 times. Um, what an incredible record. What an incredible moment for him. It's... It was, to a certain extent, quite bittersweet, the fact that he was he was matching Michael Schumacher's record. I mean, which, you know, let's be honest, 10, 10 years ago, we didn't think would ever happen, that that 91 would stand apart throughout history, that those seven world titles would always be the record. Uh, and here comes Lewis Hamilton, and yeah, hold my almond milk, here I come. When you think back to... Uh... Watching, you know, the era of Michael Schumacher when he was absolutely dominating in the early 2000s. Um, and, you know, when he got his 91st win, when he got his uh, seventh title, I mean, did, back then, did you, or, I mean, did you, or did, did the sport in general ever think that that sort of record would be matched by someone? No, I mean, we really thought that this this was it. I mean, like I said, these would these records would stand apart. They would be there till the end of time. Because never the sport had never seen such a dominant driver with such a dominant team. There's been periods of dominant teams that have had two drivers really going at it and stuff. But for one driver to stand so clear, clearly apart from his teammates in a team that's also doing the exact same, it was just, it, it was unthought of. And slowly but surely, Hamilton and Mercedes have been chipping away at that. And... On Sunday, they did it, and 69 points ahead in the Drivers' Championship. That seventh world title is also his, and it's just its incredible to think in two weeks' time, he could break Schumacher's record. He could be standing on 92 race wins, and yet the poor lad, I mean, he still gets so much criticism from people saying it's the car, it's the team, it's the this, it's the that. Yes, the car and the team are phenomenal, but each and every time Hamilton has, has been the better of his teammates. I mean, even in the year he, he lost to Nico Rosberg, 2016, I don't think anyone could ever actually stand there with a straight face and say Rosberg was the better of the two drivers, even in that season. Hamilton's just, he, he's sublime. I mean, what he can do with a race car is absolutely incredible. And he deserves he deserves all the credit. But like I said, a bit of a bittersweet moment. You know, I, I got into Formula One during the, the Schumacher era and stuff. And yeah, he was he was the one to beat, the one to idolize. Uh, and now, yeah, slowly but surely, Lewis Hamilton is, is taking that from him. Um, what an amazing moment. Uh, Mick Schumacher, after the race, presenting Hamilton with one of Michael's helmets. I like the fact also that it was one of the helmets that Michael wore during his Mercedes days. Because, of course, Hamilton was the guy who replaced him at Mercedes. And now, I don't know, Hamilton's the guy who's replacing him as the GOAT. Yeah, I mean that's what the record books say now. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, once he wins, once he wins the title, um, in a few weeks or in a month or whenever it happens, I mean, he really is, he's going to hold two of the most uh, prestigious, important records in F one, most wins and most world championships. And yeah, like you say, he gets a lot of criticism, but the only time he's the last time really he was beaten by a teammate fair and square was 2011 probably Jensen Button um you know I know he was beaten by Rosberg but if he didn't retire in Malaysia back in 2016 he would have won that title as well like I it, I just don't really understand the fact that he gets criticized so much it's like 
so many people don't recognize how good he is i think and i mean that wasn't really the case when schumacher was around was it so why do you think it's so different i don't know to be honest i mean like you said it wasn't like that when schumacher was around when it was schumacher people were going like wow look what he's doing look how he's built ferrari look how flipping amazing he is and and with lewis it's just that same level of of praise and adoration is just not there unfortunately you know, it's, it might be the fact that Mercedes are racing towards a sixth championship double that it's and the fact that Rosberg won one of the titles in the mix of that, that it it is almost, you want to say, more of a team effort than when it was with Michael. With Michael and Ferrari, it was it was him winning all five, whereas with Hamilton, it's it's been Hamilton and his teammates who have been up at the top. So making it a bit more clear that it's that it is the car well that the car does have a really significant role i don't want to say it is the car because you know even though mercedes is standing apart as the car to beat as the engine to beat you know hamilton is the cream of the cream of the crop he's rising above his teammates each and every time he really does deserve every every moment of 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 credits that that he's achieved you know 91 race wins it's it's phenomenal yeah, and I mean, there's, you know, with the stable regulations, um, it's pretty likely that we're going to see him hit 100 wins next year, which is, uh, yeah, that's a just monumental number, isn't it? I mean, 100 wins in a career. It's uh, and obviously he's won a race in every season of his career, which again is a pretty, pretty unbelievable record. Um, yeah, I mean, title all but wrapped up, records all but wrapped up. Um, uh, yeah, we shouldn't discuss this too much because it's obviously an unanswerable question ultimately. But um, you know, it's going to be spoken about who who's the best of all time. Is it him, or Schumacher? Is it someone else? Um, what are your thoughts on that? You know, where do you think that they how they compare um, both of them to you know the Senna, Fangio, those type of drivers? I am of the opinion that you can't compare them. I mean, they were such different eras. These days, if Hamilton crashes a car, he walks away. Back in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't like that. It was, there was a lot more risk to to the racing. Um, potentially, I would say to some degree, drivers probably would be a lot more cautious than they were today because of the, the consequences for when they crashed. So you can't, you can't compare the errors, you can't compare the decades. The only thing you can do is look at the numbers, and the numbers have Lewis Hamilton right up there with Schumacher as the GOAT, and nothing's going to change that. But also, it's, it's one of those things, it's where your heart's at. And where your heart's at will always determine who you think's the greatest of all times, whether it's tennis, Formula One, golf, whatever, who you support. If that person is the one bringing in the numbers and bringing in the results, then that's that's it. Yeah, it's very true. You know, I mean, uh, after yesterday, the numbers don't really suggest that anymore. But Roger Federer is the best tennis player of all time. You know, just thought I'd put it out there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's true. And uh, yeah, like you said, the numbers is the only way to look at. But um, obviously, there's the fact that Hamilton and Schumacher have driven a lot more races than uh, than the drivers of uh, the the you know previous eras. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a futile discussion, I guess. It's uh, you can't really compare. It's uh, oranges and apples all around. I mean, regardless, Lewis Hamilton is if people somehow didn't know a very good driver and um yeah i think he 
deserves the record and he'll deserve it once he hits seven titles which is um yeah pretty inevitable at this point it's uh it's a hefty lead at the top now that was Hamilton, and I think uh, the most interesting thing behind him, uh, I mean, we say this every episode, you know, uh, Max Verstappen, not really much to talk about there. He was just on his own all race, um, which I think he must be getting quite irritated with, to be honest. But um, yeah, I mean, P3, he was joined by his former teammate, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, who personally, I'd say he's putting in a pretty good pretty good uh, attempt at driver of the season, to be honest. Before, before Nürburgring, he'd finished in the... Uh, top six in four consecutive races and then yeah he went one better finally got that uh, p3 podium um i mean yeah now he's p4 in the championship comfortably he's got a decent gap over perez i think it is in p5 um and i mean he's just driving as well as ever isn't he daniel ricardo is having a fantastic season um it does it does raise the question of is he potentially regretting that uh, that decision to join McLaren, which he made before the the season even began? But I mean, what a what a fantastic show! You know, he's you know in, in the past in past seasons, you know, pretty much the first six positions in the championship were taken by Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari. And this year, with Ferrari not being in the mix, it's opened the door. With Alex Albon very much not being in the mix, it's opened the door as well. And Daniel Ricciardo has just stepped up and taken that position. I think prior to the race weekend, he he said something about he's the guy with the target on his back. He's he's the one to beat at the moment, and he really is wonder if he was in a Mercedes what he would be doing at the moment because he is probably like you say the driver of the season I think he's yeah whether he's you know best driver or not it's hard to say but I'd say he is a much better driver than he was when he left Red Bull now to be honest um I mean we saw it on Sunday you know it used to be back when he was at Red Bull oh he's got good one lap pace he's a very good overtaker you know lasted the late breakers and all that um and that was pretty much what was all that was said about him. Whereas now he's, I mean, his tyre management on Sunday was seriously good. He made a set of tyres last from the virtual safety car until the full safety car, which ended up, you know, being the reason that he ended up in P3. And then another thing that you didn't really see too much in his Red Bull days was his defending. Yeah, the safety car restart when uh, when Perez was right behind him, I I did think that Perez was going to get him, um, but Ricardo never really gave him a chance, to be honest. And he's as good as over with his overtakes, as uh, as he showed with that move on Charles Leclerc. I mean, it's it's hard to say, but I think if if Lewis Hamilton ends up leaving Mercedes in the next few years, then I'd go and I, I'd probably go ahead and say that Daniel Ricardo is the best best they could possibly do. Um, obviously, maybe Max Verstappen, but Verstappen could still be tied down at Red Bull, but. Uh, yeah, I think he's just so good at the moment. And yeah, uh, aside from Hamilton, I'd probably say he's the most kind of all-round driver on the grid. Yeah, like I said, his P3 gave him uh, P4 in the championship comfortably, ahead of Albon, which uh, Red Bull will love, I'm sure. And it did make the race for P4 in the Constructors. No, sorry, P3 in the Constructors. A lot tighter as well. Um, I mean, who's your money on there between McLaren, Racing Point and Renault heading into the last uh, six or so races? I think it actually has to be with Renault these days. They, well, initially it looked, well, initially we all thought it would be racing point given their, their pink Mercedes, but they just haven't really strung it together as well as, as well as one had expected. And then McLaren started the season really strong, but now it's, it's very much Renault. They are, 
They're, I'm going to say they're, they're heads and shoulders above McLaren at the moment, even, uh, with racing points sort of slotting in between the two of them. So, yeah, I think Danny Rick is going to give Renault third place in the championship. Um, in fact, I think the only thing that they actually have to regret at the moment is Esteban Ocon isn't quite producing the results or the performances that they wanted. Uh, yes, I get he did retire and it was a car issue and stuff, but he's just not on Danny Rick's level. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, like you say, like you said, he did retire, but even before that, he wasn't really anywhere near Ricardo. Um, he probably would have got a top ten finish, but I'd say that's largely down to the car, to be honest, um, because that car is very good at the moment. I'd say it's maybe the most improved of the season. It's definitely better than the McLaren, and yeah, the racing point. I'd say maybe the pace is even. It's just that I mean, racing point have had some rotten luck this season. Uh, you know, two drivers drop out with illness. 15 point deduction whether that's fair or not but um yeah i mean it things haven't really gone their way they've had some dodgy reliability as well but uh i mean p3 in the constructors championship obviously you know it's a big opportunity this year with a uh, ferrari dropping down um i mean just how important is it uh, but you know the difference between places and the standings first and foremost it's super important because of money i mean the prize money structure is based on the constructors championship so to finish third um, is worth is worth quite a couple of million more than let's say fourth or and definitely more than fifth, but I think also to finish third and to beat Ferrari. I mean, yes, we all know Ferrari is having an awful season. We all know that their engine is has been hamstrung by the FIA because it wasn't entirely legal. But at the end of the day, the record books are going to show potentially Renault, Racing Point, McLaren, Ferrari. They're not going to explain why. They're just going to say that Renault beat Ferrari, and that, that's all we're going to be aware of. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's really important from a prestigious point of view, a well, I'm going to say almost a psychological point of view, but definitely from financial. This this is definitely playing to Renault's favor. I'd say yeah, I'd say they're two the favorites of P3, but um, at the moment they're not. At the moment they're still in P5. Racing Point moved up to P3, and. Um, yeah, while that was mainly due to the the uh, driver Sergio Perez who got the P4, I think we just, no offense to Perez, but I think his teammate was just a star of the race, his temporary teammate, Nico Hulkenberg. I mean, it's just, it makes me lost for words, to be honest. He, he woke up Saturday morning thinking he was going to go to the Nürburgring just to cover it for TV. And then, you know, to just, to go there, no practice and end up gaining what was it, 12 positions on race day? It's just it's just unbelievable, you know. I mean, he's just gone and driven 60 laps at one of the most challenging circuits in the world. I mean, it's it was it was just an unbelievable performance, wasn't it? It was, absolutely. Like you say, it's been since August that he last drove into the car. He got an extremely late call-up, hopped into the car at the start of qualifying, did 10 laps and that was the that was the full duration of his practice his qualifying his setup his whole shebang for the weekend before the race came 10 laps and yet in those 10 laps he actually even though he qualified 20th he he missed out on being in Q2 by just 4 tenths of a second which is is pretty phenomenal when you consider the drivers who were ahead of him on the grid who also didn't make it through uh, through into into Q2 i mean he he was short of, he was, I think, 0.2 seconds behind Kimi Raikkonen, Nicholas Latifi, George Russell, Roman Grosjean was only four tenths ahead. It really was a fantastic performance. So, but qualifying 20th, you kind of went, okay, well, 
points going to be really difficult, but he went, you know, well, let me show you what I can do. Finished eighth. Yes, there were five retirements. You can throw that into the factor. But he finished eighth on the day. He beat, uh, he beat Sebastian Vettel in a Ferrari to finish that P8. It was a really fantastic performance from Nico. Uh, the team bosses have come out saying exceptional. Uh, Otmar has said that he deserved driver of the day. It was that good, which, I mean, is pretty something to say, given that your one driver finishes fourth, but your driver of the day is the guy who finishes eighth. It is shocking that Nico Hülkenberg is not on the grid. It's shocking that... Red Bull are not calling him up right here, right now to replace Alex Alvin. I definitely would be. Yeah, it really is unbelievable. Um, I mean, you know, he was good at Silverstone, but I think this just cemented just how good he still is. Even Haas, if they got him, then, that you know, great. But yeah, like you said, Red Bull, it should be a no-brainer, to be honest. Um, I mean, just some facts to show it. So in qualifying on Saturday, the gap between Hulkenberg and Perez was the same as the gap between Albon and Verstappen. <laughs> Which, I mean, Hulkenberg had zero preparation. Albon is the regular driver, the regular teammate of Verstappen. Um, Hulkenberg's also scored more points than Sebastian Vettel in the last eight races, which, yeah, says a lot about Vettel's season, I think. But, yeah, while, while he was incredible and deserves to be linked with the Red Bull seat, I think the fact that he's... Linked with the Red Bull seat is also largely due to the performances of Alex Albon, um, who was, I mean, there's no other word for it, terrible, to be honest. Yeah, I don't enjoy saying it. It's uh, it's never fun to, you know, criticise a young driver like that. But he was just locked up twice, uh, took out one Alpha Tauri, couldn't get past the other one and whined on the team radio about it. Um, but the most shocking thing is that his team refused to come out and criticise him after the race. In fact praising him instead i mean what's going on there i have to say that is probably the most confusing story um in formula one this season and that's saying a lot because it's been a pretty confusing season alex alban was dreadful dreadful at the nurburgring like you said he he locked up so he had to pit early while he was trying to recover from his early pit stop he made a complete total utter rookie error misjudged took off Daniel Kibbert's nose, uh, then tangled with, with Pierre Gasly and, yeah, that was a bit wheels wheels and elbows out and stuff. But then the fact that he had the audacity to whine about the Alfa Tori drivers being harsh when they fight him. I just thought, like, really? I mean, you're in a Red Bull. You shouldn't be fighting with the Alfa Tori drivers. You should be fighting with the Mercedes drivers. Then, to top it all off, the team comes up and says, like, oh, the penalty was harsh. He was really good. You know, he was making good progress. Christian Horner reckons he could have even beaten Daniel Ricciardo to the podium. That's how fantastic Alex Alban was on Sunday. And the rest of us are just sitting there going, what? Really? How? You know, it's, it makes no sense. I mean, this is a team that has in the past been ruthless with its drivers and unfairly ruthless, ruthless with its drivers, it must be said. And yet here they are with a driver who, at least to the rest of us, looks like doesn't deserve his place on the grid, and they're blowing smoke. When one Pierre Gasly had that seat, I mean, they were, one, they were pretty harsh with him when they sacked him, but two, I mean, they just treated him so brutally, you know? And if he ever had a bad race, they never praised him. They criticised him completely, criticised, you know, his raw pace, criticised how good he was at overtaking. I mean, it was just... 
you know, you had to point it was almost like bullying. And at that point, you think, well, yeah, they did it with Kvyat too. Um, it's just how they, it's just how they operate. They're just a tough team. Um, so that just makes it all the more bizarre when you see when you see how they're treating Albon. And it's just, it's really hard to see why because performance-wise, he definitely isn't any better than Gasly was. I mean, what do you think it is? Do you think they're just trying to save face because? If they get rid of Albon, they're kind of out of options in terms of junior drivers, or what? Well, pretty much, if they get rid of Albon, they've got to go back to one of their Alpha Tori drivers, which means either promoting Kivet, who's been, if I remember correctly, promoted, dropped, dropped, completely sacked, and then re-signed, or they've got to admit that they didn't give Gasly a fair shot and put him back in the car. So both of those are, yeah, not not really good for... For, for Red Bull's look. Um, added to that, Alban is also, he's a Thai British driver, so maybe that has something to do with it. But like I said, it's all very confusing. I mean, if I if I was Red Bull, I would put Gasly in the car, I'd put, I would put Alex back to Alfa Tori, um, and I'd put uh, the Formula 2 Honda chap, Yuki, in the car alongside Alex in the Alfa Tori. Uh, Daniel Kivett would be gone, unfortunately, for Danny Kay. But Gasly deserves that seat. I, I'm shocked. I think he's something like 10 points behind Alban, and he's in an Alpha Tori, and Alban's in a Red Bull. That should not be happening. It really shouldn't. I mean, I'd say at this point, Gasly is undoubtedly a better option to drive uh, the Red Bull uh, next season ahead of Albon. I'd say if you look at just driver ability alone, Sergio Perez is. Uh, I'd say Nico Hulkenberg is. Obviously, those two are a bit different because they're not part of the Red Bull program. And, um, you know, that would be very embarrassing for Helmut Marko. <laughs> I mean, he probably isn't up for doing it. But Gasly, there's just... It just doesn't make any sense. I, I'm not saying I want him to go to Red Bull because, I mean, uh, I think they really... They weren't good for him. You know, that environment, how they treated him... I'm pretty happy with him staying at AlphaTauri, you know, it's going well for him there, he finished, he finished P6 on Sunday, um, you know, if Ricardo isn't driver of the season, then Gasly's got a pretty good shot at it too, so, yeah, I'm not saying that I wanted to go to Red Bull, but from Red Bull's perspective, it should be a no-brainer, really, um, it, there was talk on uh, Sky Sports from Paul DeResta that maybe Gasly's uh, upset a few people at Red Bull and that's why he's not getting the seat. Um, I mean, when we say a few people, do you think that is helmet marker? I think it can only be helmet marker. I mean, unfortunately, like you were saying earlier, Gasly last year got a lot of stick from Red Bull. Um, I mean, I think helmet marker at the end of their preseason testing turned around and, and accused this, this kid who had just stepped up to the senior team of throwing away their winter testing because he'd had two crashes. I mean, he was he was brutal in his comments against him, and Gasly has since his axing he's he's been voicing his opinion a bit more this season as to as to what went wrong and why he doesn't feel it's right. Um, I think he, the other day he was saying like mistakes were made from both sides and stuff. And I don't think Helmut Marko is the type of chap that you turn around and say he made a mistake. So I mean, it, it's strange because Gasly seems like. One of the nicest guys on the grid, you know. He doesn't seem... He's not like a Fernando Alonso character where he's going to be a a problem for the team at all. But, yeah, Helmut Marko, I guess, he's... Uh, yeah, he acts all brute and everything, but he's also just ridiculously sensitive, you know. I mean, it, like, if Mark Webber, when he was at the team, Helmut Marko just... They did not get on because Webber spoke his mind about Vettel. Um, 
as soon as Ricardo started causing issues with Verstappen, Helmut Marko again took Verstappen's side entirely. I mean, I know it's worked for them for a while, but it's just having that kind of setup at the team where, you know, so much other than driving comes into who you're going to have as your number two driver. It's just, it's just not a good way to operate, really, is it? No, definitely not. But like you say, he he picks a favorite and and he backs his favorites to, you know, to the nth degree and you know to hold with the poor guy who's second in the car. So like you say, it's very surprising that they're they're still backing Alex. That they are saying praiseworthy things race after race, even when he's done absolutely nothing praiseworthy. But yeah, it looks like Red Bull is determined that it's gonna that they're gonna stick with Alex for, for the end of this season and into next season. And yeah, a huge pity for Pierre Gasly, for Nico Hulkenberg, for Sergio Perez, for drivers who've actually shown that they, they deserve to be in a top car and a top team. Yeah, I mean, if if Perez and Hulkenberg both end up without seats, uh, or even if they end up with a seat at Haas, that's just going to... It will leave such a sour taste in the mouth, I think, because, you know, they do deserve a shot at the at a top seat. And, um, I mean, not to be harsh on our one, but I don't think he does, really. I don't think he's shown enough to. I think he's just um, maybe lucky that he was part of the Red Bull program, uh, lucky that he's Thai, maybe, uh, Thai British driver is... Um, and lucky that Helmut Marko doesn't seem to like Pierre Gasly. But I mean, you know, we got two weeks until the next race, so I'm sure we'll um, more stuff will come out about that. Um, I mean, silly season has to be wrapped up before the race in Portugal, you'd think, because by then we're going to be in the last weekend of October. Um, yeah, so next up is Portugal, Portimao. Just taking a brief look ahead to that. Um, what are you expecting? Is it it's another trip into the unknown for F1, really? Very much a trip into the unknown. In fact, this one's completely unknown. Formula One has never raced at the Portimao circuit. I think it was only at the beginning of this year that it even got the the FIA grading to to host a Formula One Grand Prix, which, I mean, great timing for them. So, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one. Again, Portugal, end of October, going into cooler conditions, that could throw things for a loop as well. But yeah, I will say this, the one upside to it is expect a really busy Friday, unless of course there's weather, because the drivers are all going to have to learn the circuit from from meter one to, I don't know, meter 5,000 or however long it is. I mean, uh, if Friday's cancelled because of weather again, I think that'll have that'll have an even bigger effect than it did at the Nürburgring. That'd just be crazy. But uh, I mean, I'm loving the calendar at the moment, you know, we've got a... Uh, We've got a new track up next, and then we've got Imola after that, and then Istanbul. I mean, it's just looking great. It's just looking great. Um, but yeah, like I said, that's uh, in two weeks' time. We'll be we'll be uh, back here to to cover it all on the podcast. Hopefully, be talking about another another great race. Um, so yeah, Michelle, thanks for coming on today. Uh, always a pleasure, Finley. And um, yeah, thanks to everyone else for listening. Uh, in the two week gap, then. Be sure to keep an eye on our website, planetf1.com, as well as our social media channels. Our Facebook is simply planetf1, and our Twitter is planet underscore f1. If you're enjoying the podcast, then uh, also please you know, go ahead and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, because, yeah, it really goes, uh, goes a long way to helping us out. So, um, yeah, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Right. Introducing new Kerrygold Spreadable. Only food. 
rich taste of Kerrygold, blended with natural rapeseed oil, spreadable, straight from the fridge. Now available nationwide. Love the taste of new Kerrygold Spreadable. Sports Social Podcast Network.